0: Good morning. Good morning It's a beautiful day And it's a beautiful group of people Amen. <laughs> so we're, we're just really happy to be here so um, this morning. We're going to have several um, Several sharing about uh, families in agriculture and and missions and we, we had the privilege, Jennifer and I had the privilege, this summer of spending a couple months in Africa, and so we want to share with you about that, that trip. And um, I was right to the last minute trying to get some extra slides on there, and <laughs> so he's still trying to get it set up in the back. But um, it was a wonderful trip.
1: You know, the Lord opened up that opportunity with a new nonprofit that had started called Global Rise, and they stopped by the farm to see if there was anybody who could help them build some farms for some orphanages. That's their their heartthrob is to help with the nutrition of orphans in Africa and around the world. So, the exciting part was, extra exciting part for us was that Uganda and Tanzania were the countries chosen. And that's where we have some African girls. We didn't adopt them officially, but they became part of our lives when we lived in Sudan. They're both Sudanese. One living in Uganda now and one in Tanzania. (coughs) We're pleased to say the Lord has really blessed them. One of them um, came to help me when I was pregnant with Paul. And I mean, I think it was actually the year before and we were giving her a year of schooling in exchange. So Doreen became a part of our lives forever. Uh, She came to Tanzania, followed us there. And um, she's married to the president of the South Sudanese field. And he is in the middle of the war zone. She finally left to keep her children in Uganda where they're finishing their schooling. So uh, Samuel is holding the fort in South Sudan. Clement. I, I mean, Clement mm-hmm. is. Samuel yeah. is the husband of Awadia, who's the girl that's now in Tanzania.
0: Yeah.
1: Are you ready to start? Or we, can we... Yeah. Anyway, the amazing thing is we got to see both of them. Yeah. And their kids are college age. They're okay. oldest. So it's amazing. It's been a long time since we saw them. Awadia was actually... All of these people from Sudan have been in civil war for over 30 years when we met them and Awadia's mother uh, brought them out of Uganda at that time to South Sudan because people would go back and forth to wherever there was safety between Sudan they, and Uganda.
0: They're, they're from tribes that are near the border and so when things were rough in South Sudan, they'd move down to Uganda and then when things got rough in Uganda, they'd move back to South Sudan. So that's their whole life, is just moving back and forth.
1: And I love the way they care for each other and their families. And we were actually um, interviewing Awadia's cousin in our home in in Sudan, for a job with Andra, she wanted to go with us to the Cataracts, around where the Cataracts, or where the Nile goes east and west. We were moving way up there, where there's pyramids. Way north. Where the north. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Got confused because the Nile River is going up. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so. Um, when she was at our table, Awadia was in our home, and they recognized they were relatives at our table. And you should have seen the joy, the screaming, the screaming, the joy that happened between Awadia and Regina. And so Regina did become our counterpart up in the north, and then she followed us to Yemen later and helped us there. But these ladies are very sacrificial. Awadia has helped run Adra South Sudan. She's a remarkably bright
0: woman. She worked for South Sudan for many years. You know, she's a nurse and, and, okay.
1: So when we tell you about them, you'll know who they are. Yeah. And she was actually orphaned. She lost her daddy when they came across. I want to tell you that story. But she was orphaned by her mother when she was living in our home. So, getting to enter into the morning process of actually her receiving that news from the, she was shot by the SPLA, SPLA? The, the rebel forces. The rebel forces. Yeah. So there's a lot of suffering, that has happened.
0: So we were, we were in you in Africa from July 16 to September 8, and this picture here is actually uh, a South Sudanese refugee camp in Uganda, and it's from what it's reportedly the the largest refugee camp in the world right now. Um, So, just a little bit about our trip. Global Rise is the the agency that we went under. Their goal is to partner with orphanages in order to improve nutrition. They do this by improving kitchen equipment, services, and menus, and by starting a small farm. And um, we were asked to help with the the farm establishment part of the project. And they have selected two orphanages in East Africa that they wanted to start working with. Um, The purpose of our visit was to visit these two orphanages, and um, we added our own personal agenda onto that. We, We were planning and hoping to go back to Sudan, not South Sudan, but to Sudan. Where we had originally started our overseas service and so we we got bought round-trip t- tickets to uganda thinking that we would just go up to sudan from uganda and then come back to U- uganda and then go, go home but um, three weeks into our first month we realized that the sudan trip just wasn't working out it
1: it wasn't the right time
0: yeah it wasn't the right timing it's going for to be it.
1: the right time in 2018 yeah
0: so um but we already had our return tickets home you know scheduled and so we had three extra weeks to to fill but um we it was fine other options opened up and we were um we were able to spend time with with doreen and visit south sudanese refugee camps and we were able to visit um well,
1: it was an extremely it, emotional experience yeah. to see the southern Sudanese again in that situation.
0: Yeah. So, and we were also able to visit with Farms to a local Ugandan SDA NGO with a U.S. base that we were tremendously impressed with. And, and just briefly, I want to introduce you to ECHO, a Christian non SDA agency headquartered in Fort Myers, Florida whose aim is to support Christian agricultural missions with information resources regarding crops, growing systems, appropriate technologies, and certain seeds. So we, they have a, an East Africa impact center, they call it, in, in Tanzania that we were able to visit. And I'll, there's a few pictures of that. But um, if, any, if anyone is thinking of going overseas, these people have a website chock full of lots and lots of very helpful information. Um, they're, they're a tremendous resource.
1: They're cutting edge, and they really yeah. are there to serve you.
0: So the two orphanages we were going to is, the first one was Crystalis Orphanage in Kasese, Uganda, and the, the second one was a Reach, Village of Hope, near Bunda, Tanzania. And on the map, um, this is Kampala, Uganda, and this, by the way, is South Sudan here. And This is Kristallis orphanage. It's, it's way over in western Uganda very close to the the Congo border um, The reach orphanage is right here You can see it's it's on this little peninsula that sticks out into Lake Victoria And it is it is actually on the lake so um, <coughs> we started our trip and This is John Casillas the 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 man who started global rise and This is um, the young lady who um, Is is the nutritionist for global rise this lady here is um, Shalini her she's the one who started the the crystallous orphanage there and this is (laughs) 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 guess. so this is
1: like a 12-hour drive.
0: Yeah, we had a 12-hour drive from Kampala out to the orphanage. This is. We're the, really proud of this in Indian
1: woman that had a burden for the yeah. Indian orphans in India when she was there, and decided that's how she wanted to serve the Lord.
0: Yeah. So, this is the orphanage itself. Um, some of the fields in front here. They it's it's on about two and a half acres. So there's. Um, We just have a small farm there, but uh, this is on the other side of the orphanage they have this little courtyard and some of the kids there. Um, This is their garden, they uh, had some tomatoes here that were struggling, but um, had some other uh, kale and collards back there that were doing better. Little man- uh, avocado tree, some papayas, in in with the collards.
1: The orphanage has been around for about ten years.
0: This is their kitchen. We this is something we're we're really wanting to improve. <laughs> the, when they when they cook in there, the whole room is just full of smoke. And I I just found I I attended with with my dad. I attended an echo. Conference just a couple weeks ago, and they were they were telling us that um, smoke in a kitchen, uh, a lady who's cooking over a wood fire in a in an enclosed kitchen like that, um, she, it's, if she spends a day in there, she's inhaling the equivalent of of a couple packs of cigarettes, and if she has a baby on her back, you know, so, so doing something for, for local people to reduce the amount of smoke is a, is a big priority for a lot of, a lot of folks. Um, this is some of the fields. By the way, if you know about moringa, they, they had a number of moringa trees planted in the field here. But I also wanted to show you, it's right at the base of the, um, the Ruanzori Mountains. And notice this and this. And this up here, all the brown areas, these are, those are fields, basically vertical. <laughs> yeah, those are their fields. And, um, Anyways, that, that was just really interesting to me. While we were there visiting, we, we visited the local agricultural officer, and he, he pointed us to a, a local primary school where they had set up a model garden. And so we went to visit that. These are the, the students out in the garden. So this was really exciting to me. They, they did have all the students out there working in it. Um, that
1: was a lot of nice sweet potatoes.
0: This is the headmistress and her um, her <coughs> assistant who, who um, are overseeing the project. Um, they had some fruit trees that they had planted, and this is how they're protecting them. And you can see there's some... Uh, Watermelon growing there, and uh, I don't. I think th- those were peppers or tomato. Or yeah, not like tomatoes, like or, tomatoes. Like or, tomatoes. Yeah, and some collards behind. I think.
1: We really believe in networking with the local yeah. community and seeing what's done. We this yeah. was actually an exploratory trip to see what was going on in. In the local community where we were, and the resources we could use.
0: So they had some. Eggplant alternated with beans. And, and then they had set up this little demonstration drip system with uh, they've got scallions in there. That's what, you know, little green onions, spring onions, we call them. Okay. Um, and and it's they're they're using this water tank to irrigate. This is the line coming down to the field. So it's just a very simple drip irrigation system.
1: And how did they fill that tank?
0: Um, yeah, it was interesting. They had a, I didn't get to see the treadle pump, but I, I've seen other ones like it. It's a, it's a pump that you, it's almost like a little treadmill with platforms for your feet. And you can just, you just stand on it and put your feet up and down like that. And it, and it pumps water up into the tank.
1: It was from that cistern that you see that's rock right there. They had just lined it with a can uh, plastic.
0: Yeah, they, they had a little basin right here.
1: And they'd pump from that open source into this tank.
0: They, they, they had a little canal that came from a, a river not too far away, and, and they would open that up and fill that basin and then pump the water up into the tank, so. Um, from there, we, we went to Tanzania, to the Reach Orphanage, and you can just barely see a little sliver of lake right there. That, that's, it's right on the lake. These are the the boys' dorms and the girls' dorms. This was a much larger orphanage than than Crystalis. Um, the boundary comes about like this. You, you can kind of see it here. And whoa, sorry. No, it comes over to here. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the road going down the center. The the main gate is here, and there's a main road just off the slide. Um, they, this is a school for, for the orphans and for the community. And uh, this is a guest house that's where we stayed. This is the dining hall here.
1: And it wasn't luxurious. Th- that's actually just um, rooms opening out towards the lake. But they had an infestation of bats that was incredible. In
0: the ceiling. Yeah, so they
1: were dropping everything into the kitchen we were using. Mm-hmm. It was really hard, but <laughs> just had to keep sweeping it up, and I wore a bandana over my face, I mean, to keep the smell and the breathing it.
0: So this is just a view on, on the lake. They had fishermen that were out in the lake every day there. Um, these so are we the were, yeah. the boys, the some of the dormitories from the, the ground. And notice these humongous avo- um, mango trees. They, they've got a lot of very large mango trees there
1: they came with the property yeah. but the monkeys like to harvest them
0: <laughs> yeah the the problem is they 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 get a huge amount of mangoes and when it, when they get their mangoes the market is flooded with mangoes so they can't really do anything with them it's,
1: it's unfortunate so it's, there is a company that dries mangoes which was, which is wonderful.
0: Uh, We're thinking of some ideas to do on that. Um, This is inside their kitchen. Um, It was a, these, they they make a wood fire under these, but they've got a chimney here taking the the smoke out.
1: So that's like one big pot.
0: That's one big pot that goes inside. Big round pot
1: to serve the orphans, the children.
0: Uh, this is serving out the food um, right at lunchtime. This is the cafe inside the dining area. Th- these are the plates that have already been served. The, the The kids come in and pick them up and then take their seat. Um, they put in a, a huge swing set. We had to try it out.
1: <laughs> it's so tall, It's it's a lot of
0: fun. There's a, a, a Canadian family who came down and, and did all the building for this over a period of, of several years and and he he built this. Um, this is what they they don't do a lot of they have large fields of cassava right now they don't have irrigation they have a couple from the lake they have a couple of wells and some tanks elevated tanks and so they have a small area that they're irrigating, um, where they have bananas, and, and then they, they started planting some vegetables, mainly Chinese cabbage. But this is how they, they make their, their um, starter. This is a starter nursery. I think it's just been seeded, and they, and they set up this framework with sticks and cover it with um, Yeah, they don't use hay.
1: soil blocks or anything but the soil and then they water them all together that the seedlings are very close to each other just like this that this is what
0: the bed looks like mm-hmm. once it's they're ready to start transplanting out of that and this is um protecting the the transplants it's pieces of of banana
1: That's Chinese cabbage. stock it's taking some sunburn
0: this is Chinese cabbage transplanted among the bananas. Um, and then f- from. This is Yeah, from there we, we went and visited uh, Awadia in, in Arusha.
1: <coughs> Awadiyah, and, she married a, a doctor who's working in Dar es Salaam, and she's going back and forth between Dar and Arusha. Arusha's to the north. And she and her husband, by working hard, saved little by little, and they bought a piece of land, and they had that piece of land, and little by little, they, they made a hotel. And so this is a beautiful hotel that they, she is running, and her son is running it. So this is children in business. He comes <laughs> up and spends more time there than she does, and he's not that old. How old do you think?
0: He's probably in his early 20s. Yeah,
1: maybe twenty. So we're really proud of them for their diligence, their industry, and their commitment to God.
0: They they give a lot to the church, and and they they're encouraging other folks in their church to give a lot, and they're they're sponsoring. Um, they the, they do most of their giving through their local church, and their local church is sponsoring a number of of young people through the seminary they're they're sponsoring the starting of, of local congregations Samuel and Awadia um, attend a satellite of their church a daughter of their church that they're trying to help raise up and um, they also are, are sponsoring church planting in in dark areas you know they're this daughter is just outside of Dar es Salaam, but the, the daughter church, but they're going farther afield. And in conferences where the conference doesn't have a lot of funding, they're, they're helping to sponsor, um, they're helping to sponsor church planting.
1: They're also helping um, or- orphanages. They're local, yes. they're encouraging their local members that can afford to. To share with the orphanages and so that is so inspiring
0: and this this we as i said we we visited this this is the echo organization that i was telling you about we visited their office in in arusha Um, they have a seed bank there where they have um, green manure cover crop seeds and they have tree seedlings fruit tree and also um, fast-growing trees that, that can be used for um, alley cropping or agroforestry and and provide fodder for, for, these trees can provide fodder for the animals and firewood and um, they're... Are they
1: giving seeds away, honey? Yeah. Yeah. They let us um, take whatever we wanted.
0: But they they do a lot of appropriate technology stuff. This is a... Dehi- a solar dehydrator. This is the the air collector, where the air is heated, and then it comes in here, and rises through the trays. You see, they have screen trays here, and then it exits out the top here. And so, we we immediately thought of all those mangoes back at the <laughs> orphanage. <laughs> Another thing they they had was um, sack gardens. You can't hardly see the sack, but this is just a a, a large nylon sack that's been filled with earth. Um, but there's a special way of doing it so that you you have a, a, a drainage column in the center where you um, that's that's full of gravel. So you you actually put a pipe in a three-inch pipe and put your gravel in the pipe and then pack earth around it. And once you've you've done about a foot of earth, you you raise the pipe up and and pack another foot in and put the gravel down and keep raising the pipe up until you have it full and then you have a column of gravel. But anyways, this this is really useful for for urban areas or places where you don't have a lot of land. when we got to the, um, the refugee camp, we immediately thought of this and... and were the
1: refugee camp, see the watering is through the center, through the gravel, yeah. and so you save a lot of loss yeah. of water that way. This is Doreen and her son and daughter.
0: So these are just two of her, her children
1: the little ones at faith. Yeah.
0: So she yeah, has five children. So we during, as, as we said, her, her husband is the, the president of the, the church in, in South Sudan. And she has come down to Uganda to be with the, the children because it's just insecure in, in Sudan, in South Sudan. Um, but she is she is responsible for women's ministries and and children's ministries for the conference and She she spends a big amount of her time in the South Sudanese refugee camps and We told her we would really love to go with her up there And so we we were able to make three trips with her up to two different refugee camps and um those were those were a highlight of our of our time
1: she'd done the pre-work there um classing out seeds and they started seedlings so we just yeah. said let's do tower gardens too At besides. our we're,
0: uh, previously I, I had mentioned to you that, that we have australian roots and our australian family have a family reunion every every few years and we had had a a family reunion just before we left to go on this trip. And so we we mentioned to everyone about our plans and and they gave us just over a thousand dollars to to do something in Africa. And so we gave most of that money to Doreen when we arrived. And she immediately, she you know, we didn't prompt her, she said, you know what I really want to do with this money as I want to buy seeds, she said, "These, you know, these people in the camps—they are given some basic commodities, some sorghum, um, and and some oil, and not much else." And she said they really need vegetables. And so she said, "She, you know, we gave her the money, and and we left. We went to the orphanages." And when we, after our, our tour of the orphanages, we came back t- to her, and um, she said, "Let's let's go up and visit the, the camps where I where I took the the, the seeds." And, and she started income generation with the women in handiwork. So we went up to this camp that's called Biddy Biddy Camp, and as I said, it's it's supposed to be the largest refugee camp in the world. Each, um, each refugee gets a, it's a 30 by 30 meter plot of land. So it's better yeah. than, than a lot of refugee camps, I think. Uganda is very generous in letting the refugees have, have some land, but 30 by 30 meters is not a lot of land still, if, you, if you're needing to survive off of it. so. Um, she Doreen had had this is a an Adventist church in the camp, and she had organized three. Um, they they were supposed to be women's groups, but they included everyone, <laughs> anyone that wanted to be part of it, and and they they were for church members and they were for friends and neighbors and anyone else that wanted to be part of it. This is the church and. And so, what she had done is she had she had gone up there and and she had um, started some nurseries like the ones I showed you from Tanzania. Um, with with these seeds that, that she had bought, and when we went up, those seeds were those those starts were ready to transplant.
1: Couldn't have been better timing.
0: Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, you know. And this wasn't planned. It was Yeah, just she didn't know we were going to come. The back Lord to worked this. it out so that, that the timing to, yeah. was perfect. Yeah, we'd
1: been to one camp right when we arrived, but that yeah. was one much closer to Kampala. Yeah.
0: So, we we made some beds, and here here they are transplanting into the beds. Um, I had no idea. What the nutritional needs of the soil was but? I do know that all over East Africa. They have these little fish Little dried sardines And so I I said I asked if they had any in the in the camp there and and there was a neighbor who had some We bought them from them and they're they're relatively inexpensive quite inexpensive and So we just said let's throw several of those in in each hole when we transplant Um, This was a a drainage slope that they wanted to develop into a garden and so I said well Let's make some contour ditches. I mean contour beds. So we made beds on a contour that would help it um, from washing away and we, we cut grass with them to, to be a mulch on the, on the new transplanted beds that we... So they, we put the transplants in and then put the grass around them. It was, it was a
1: little scary because when you we are not used to separating the plants' roots from each other. We have them individual blocks, and so they're, we knew they were going to be suffering greatly. You know, these were all with going the transplant. in as bare root transplants. So we're so. completely covering all of them and just letting the little bit of shade on them there.
0: And then we, um, we had brought with us the materials for making these uh, tower gardens. And so we made several of those with them. Um,
1: this is where they were making those bead bags. Did you get any pictures of those? The women I, would sit I, and make I didn't put um, bags for sale. And they were very, very beautiful bags.
0: Out of, out of beads. So there's a, a kind of a cloth lining with a zipper on it uh, and then they would make beads that a framework around it. They were very beautiful and, and that was something they, they just loved doing that. You know it's something they could do in spare time and as refugees they they have spare time and so they would just sit around in, in a circle and talk and, and do these bead bags and um, they were they, so they grateful. They were really, really happy about to that. To Doreen,
1: to show yeah. them something they could do.
0: So this is the the other organization I wanted to tell you about. We spent um, almost three weeks with these people, all together. And part of we we attended a one week training with some of them in in Kenya, and then we we spent a week with them at their. In their field there, where I think they it's worked. good to say that was an
1: echo training that Ed encouraged. No, it wasn't. What, it, that wasn't, what yeah, was it?
0: It was medical ambassadors. Oh, medical
1: yeah. ambassadors. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, and then they, we spent time with them in their, where they're working and saw them at work. And then, and then on our last trip to the refugee camp, they came with us. So, farm stew is an acronym stands for farming attitude rest meals sanitation temperance enterprise and water that's their that's their mission is to to teach those things Um, they're they're an adventist group and they they are associated with the church the they have the blessing of the local conference and um, they're working closely with with the local church and I'll, I'll just show you what they're doing. They, I was just so impressed. We went. They, the, one of the main things they do is they they go into a village and they do a demonstration. And you know when they told me what they were doing, I, I was like, can you really do that? Um, they're teaching people how to make soy milk and how to make tofu <laughs> and and a number of other things. And how to grow the soybeans. And. Um, so, we went with them to a village where, where they were going to do a demonstration and they, the person that arranged for this demonstration was a local lady, a, a non-Adventist lady who had attended a, a demonstration before, um, some time ago. And she was so excited and happy about it that she just started arranging for Farm Stew to do demonstrations at lots of other places. She's, Apparently arranged a lot of these demonstrations, but um, we we came to the demonstration with soybeans that had been soaked overnight, and with the the wooden mortars for for pounding them. You know, we're, you have to keep in mind we're we're not using blenders here. <laughs> and I th- you yeah, know, and we had a few vegetables with us. And so easily, wonderful. you know, yeah. vegetables that we know are available in the, in the village.
1: And they have the local people help with whatever they can bring.
0: So, as soon as, as, soon as we got there, they, they started unloading and, and connecting with, with locals and asking people, can you bring knives, can you bring pots, can you bring water, um, and, and so everyone's involved. And then they get out the, the mortars and, and the soaked soybeans, and they, they say, we have a volunteer that can do the soybeans. And so they get a couple people doing that. The so guys it, were helping. Everyone's participating. We mostly had
1: men there. It's yes. right on the road, so it attracts people this as is, they
0: come by. This is the main street in this village. And we're, we're in front of a, there's a shop behind us over here. And, Somebody has a little vegetable stand here, you know this so we just set up under a tree and and start demonstrating and um, This was when the crowd was was still building it, it got bigger than that People you know, there's not much going on people are curious. They just come and say what's what's happening here? and so here's the the soaked soybeans here they are getting ready to to cut up the vegetables.
1: The vegetables here, are kind
0: as... Here's someone pounding the soybeans here.
1: See, they make a scrambled tofu and they like to put the mixed vegetables with it or they will use it as a sauce to eat with a green jackfruit. You have jackfruit here? They actually make something out of green jackfruit because those are readily available. And um, it...
0: And, and jackfruit has... has kind of a... If you can imagine it has kind of a meat-like consistency. And yeah. so they, they're they're teaching them how to use the green jackfruit, you know, seasoning it so it's savory. And people love it.
1: And they call it the sauce. They eat everything yeah. with a sauce, like yeah. mm-hmm, with rice or with um, what we call grits, but or ugali is an African term for that.
0: And they, they have a, you know, a, a lengthy spiel you know talking about the value of soybeans how to grow soybeans encouraging people to grow them that one of the things they do is they they were distributing soybean seeds and and getting people to grow it. we visited a, a, a farmer who was growing soybeans they're also distributing vegetable seedlings and getting people to grow those um, they and, and then they explained and, and actually demonstrated how to do the soy milk. Um, they, with the vegetables, they, they encourage people to eat a rainbow. They, they're encouraging a rainbow, and so then they, make, they actually make a rainbow. So when the people are chopping up vegetables, this is what they're producing. Yeah, peppers, at, at the
1: tomatoes, cabbage, carrots, onions, and garlic
0: and um
1: and it goes far when you cut it small all the ladies are cutting while we're talking and everybody gets some in it that that way
0: i was wondering why they're making it so small I, i i thought this is a lot of work but you know as they as they did the demonstrations i understood when i heard their explanation that's so you know if you cut it in large pieces that means that the 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 vegetable isn't going to be distributed evenly among the family when they're eating. You know, the, some some people are going to get more big pieces, and you know, probably the little kids are going to be left out. But this way, the vegetables get to be distributed evenly for the whole the whole family.
1: Do they do savings groups? When we walk, yeah. went to Stephen, I thought that was really significant. Yeah,
0: they they're encouraging savings groups um, where people save money and then they can take loans from the group and they really help each
1: other out. Yeah. It's really sweet.
0: So I this this group is a group to keep your eyes and ears open for they they really deserve help. They they they're just start they've only been going for a few years and I think they have huge potential.
1: Their goal is to so spread throughout East Africa first. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's that's what we wanted to share.
1: We're going to have some others share what they're doing here um, as a missionary work. We want Tim and Andy and the canvassing team to come forward. <coughs>
2: everyone yeah, well, I just have a short story testimony to share of um, yeah some missionary work we do as we um, canvass around different places and uh, try to just add in a little bit more than um, yeah just the selling of books. I wish we could try and um, encourage more of the agricultural side of things into our work a bit more than what we do It's a little bit hard when we travel around so much, but um just some things that we do is the help work um, that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with with the camps we run and we try and um, bring that in Um, we'll offer that to people that we meet on the doors that are really in need Um, so any um, type of work that they might need doing Um, so it was at the start of the year uh, actually down near my my place just 10 minutes from home we had a team of us down there uh, for a few weeks and um this knocked on this lady's door and uh she came to the door showed her the books and she was interested um in a few of them she had a an accent i can't remember where maybe uh maybe a, uh, can't remember where she's from but uh she'd just moved down from sydney to to the arrow valley and um just at the start of the year just a few months before and we're able to, uh, I was able to talk to her and, and she said she had no friends around. She was just settling in. She just bought the house and um, it definitely needed some work. The The, the grass was long and um, a few different things. I, so once she bought some books with me, she bought a cookbook, um, piece of the Storm and the Great Controversy, um, which was a blessing. And then I offered, hey, you know, there's a group of us here. We're here for a few more days. You want us to come back on the weekend and... Um, Maybe we could cut your lawn or something like that. And she was open to that offer. Very, uh, yeah, she liked that. So Jalen, Matt and I went over to her that Sunday. And um, Jalen actually worked on the inside of her ceiling, um, sanding down some rafters, which she wanted. And Matt and I were outside mowing the lawns. And, you know, just, just something simple. But we were there for a few hours just helping her out. And she really appreciated that. And... Um, We've been away since... We're away again after that. Um, And then when I came back a few months ago, I thought, oh, I've got to get in contact with Angela again and see how she's going. Um, And I was home for a few weeks, and then I I just just got to do this. So the last week we were there, I finally messaged her and said, um, asked her how she was doing. And uh, she's... um, I said... uh, Oh, she said, "Yeah, she'd love me to come around and, and help her out again." So, I went around again by myself and did some more on her ceiling. And then she, um, as as I said before, she she really has had no friends around. She had a daughter that lived further in town, which she didn't see too often. But um, yeah, she she'd just been through a really nasty um separation with her husband and uh, was in a lot of pain and and just kept uh, didn't really have anyone to talk to about it with. And uh, so um, we're just Mm -hmm. around the fire inside, and she smokes a lot. It wasn't the, you know, working on the ceiling with all the windows closed with her smoking Mm -hmm. inside (laughs) wasn't the greatest. But um, God really um, just gave us some time where she just really opened up and was able to share, you know, even to tears, just what the heartache she's, the experience she's been through. And I think it was really good for her, and I was able to pray with her and just encourage her again to read the books that she'd first bought off me, because she still hadn't read them yet. And I said, oh, I told her time and time again, those books are going to be a blessing to you, especially that that purple one, Peace Above the Storm. (laughs) And um, so then since then we've been back again, and um, I thought, oh, I should invite her to church. And so it was one of our last weeks there again, uh, a few months later, and I messaged her and said, you're you welcome to come come to church and then come for lunch at our place. And she said that was a great idea, I um, think it would be a great idea, and she ended up coming along to church and just a few months ago now and then came for lunch in the afternoon. And, yeah, it really couldn't have gone better. Praise God for that. Um, really good first experience at church. Um, and then, yeah, getting to know the rest of my family, trying to get in... Um, friends with my mum, who's obviously at home more and her her kind of age. So, um, uh, yeah, when we go back this week, I uh, really pray that we can um, touch base again and um, continue that um, relationship with her and uh, um, really encourage her again. Hopefully, she's read those books and been able to get through some things. So, if you guys could pray for Angela, it'd be great. And all the other people that we meet, there's, that's just one that's, um, that has a few good results, which is a blessing. But there's um, many other people that we touch that we don't know um, yeah, what their final result's going to be or what's what God even is doing right now, even as we speak in the lives of those people, through the books and through the locals that um, interact with them as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a huge blessing. As I said, I'd love to be able to do some type of more um, agricultural-type thing with the work that we do. And um, I was just going to say really quickly that last week we were at a Literature vandalism conference and I'm like, ah, oh, this is just um great confirmation again that we should this is all, all I should be doing is just canvassing and then I come here to, to cultivate and um brother John says Satan's going to do all he can to keep you out of the garden I'm like oh what a struggle there's just this battle going on between so I want to get more in the garden and then so I want to keep doing canvassing so there's a balance somewhere there that God's going to help us find but um yeah <laughs> but um I really appreciate it and um as I said, God has a place for each one of us no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing um, God's given us different abilities and talents to use for his glory and to, to be a blessing to others so I really appreciate being able to share and for others sharing yeah, thank, you. thank you
0: Tim, thank you, Tim. Uh, yeah.
1: Friendship evangelism is amazing, thank you Tim for reaching You know, there,
0: wherever it doesn't matter where you are you've got a mission field around you <coughs> okay. okay, um Alec? Uh, Sorry, no, it's not Alec. It's. West Australia? Yeah. No,
1: Ben. Ben Melt.
0: Yeah.
3: hello thank you so much i really appreciated that uh it's just exciting what's happening in africa those technologies the solar dehydrator and thinking about smashing soybeans without a blender i mean you know it makes us feel so soft and coddled and western and um, many of us aren't even using our blenders to make soy milk you know we're wasting money on commercial soy milk when we make our own soy milk, it turns out to be about 10 cents a litre, doesn't it? And that's organic soybeans. And we don't have to grow our own, so we're real city slickers. And uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just beautiful to see how simple God's ways can be done. Uh, I wanted to introduce us as a family. Uh, my name's Ben Melt, M-E-L-D-T. That's from my Austrian mother. And I married a most beautiful um, German lady, and this is her, Jana. Jana. And we have two small girls, a four-year-old Hosanna and a two-year-old Jubilee. And we really have the privilege of being uh, medical missionaries. We're, we're sort of suburban missionaries of types. Jana studied in Uchi Pines in America. Uh, she wanted to do other things with her career, but God led her to study there because she um, it's, it's one of the best medical missionary institutions in the world and produces uh, medical missionaries that build health centers all around the world. And uh, we're, we're really striving towards that. And we've been talking about this this week with people. We, we need that in Australia, these mission colleges that produce competent and confident medical missionaries that can go anywhere and serve God in, in any capacity. But this morning, uh, we wanted to share really shortly, thank you, sweetheart, about a, a project in our church Uh, as as a married couple as medical missionaries we've been uh, basically pushing back on the silent and hidden holocaust which is happening in Western society and as I said we're suburban missionaries to Western folk and we're really dealing with those Western lifestyle diseases like diabetes and cancer and heart disease that are rampant and it may not be so apparent but if you're in the hospital system you can see that Really, we're dropping like flies almost as badly as these poor people in Africa in in the, the refugee camps. And it's sort of a silent holocaust happening there, which which we also need medical missionaries to address. And we, we train medical missionaries in that capacity as well. And a part of um, the seven years of health ministry that we've been engaging in from our local church, and it's so um, empowering to be a part of a local church uh, family who support and want to engage with the community on a personal ministries level and really draw them in and show them God's healing power and as a health team we've really had that support and I hope you can find a church that is also that supportive Uh, but during the seven years of ministry after about four years we, we were teaching a lot on what Jana spoke about earlier in her workshop Um, called God's Green Pharmacy or Nature's Green Pharmacy, how to use cultivated and wild herbs as medicine and as cuisine. And we're doing a lot of gardening ourselves. And we realized the folk in our church um, really didn't have a lot of gardening skills. Um, We were those pampered suburbanites um, who tend to sort of go to the shop and eat a lot of of packaged foods and um, reap the results of that. And even children in the church so disconnected, that you know, we, and, and in society, as you talk t- um, to the, the community folk out there, that they didn't know where their food comes from. And I know you come across this, and it's a real tragedy of, of sorts. So, uh, being really passionate about organic gardening, what we did is we decided that we'd love to open a community garden in our church as integrative to our health ministry programs. And the opportunity arose uh, when Adra uh, offered a community um, grant and offered some money uh, for community gardens. So just clicking further there. Oh, there we go. So I I just wanted to give you a quick rundown. You may be thinking about a community garden um, yourself and the benefit it could be to you and your local church in ministering to the community. So just to share from our experience, what are the reasons you might start a community garden? Um, Possibly as a resource to other church ministries, for example, in health programs, you can have the fresh greens right there to demonstrate. Um, Or you can take people into the garden and say, we've been talking about the health benefits of Whole Foods. This is how they're growing right here. Um, In children's ministries, our adventurer group this coming year wants to grab the children into the garden and make that a part of their curriculum for their gardening badge so they can have that hands-on experience. And the social groups as well, there's lots of fun around the garden that um, you can have. The second main reason might be to train church members in food-growing skills, and this is really greatly needed, especially in the cities. We're based in Brisbane, which is the capital city of Queensland. There's around about a couple million people there. We have, I think, maybe 20 to 30 Adventist churches there, and both the church members and the community members are really low on those food-growing skills, those country-living skills. And uh, there's, there's a great desire um, and an awakening in the community as there's as a peak in interest in coming back to natural ho- homegrown food and nutrient-dense food. So those food-growing skills and encouraging a connection to nature, of course, as well. And that was really one of the inspirations for starting the garden is those quotes we've been talking about Um, at this conference, like the one from Adventist Home, page 142. In the cultivation of the soil, the thoughtful worker will find that treasures little dreamed of are opening up before him. And we've heard so much witness to that this week. No one can succeed in agricultural gardening without attention to the laws involved. And the fact is, we've really lost the knowledge of these laws. We don't even understand the way nature works. Um, many of uh, us in the church didn't know how to raise a seedling, how to plant a seedling, or even how just to um, draw a simple furrow and, and sow a seed. And so we're starting from the basics, the foundation, but how exciting it is. And so having that community garden just provides that area where everyone can come together and learn. In cultivating carefulness, patience, attention to detail, and obedience to law, it imparts the most essential training. And let's face, face it, the majority of Adventist families don't have this training, and our children really need it. It's so lacking. The constant contact with the mystery of life, a never-ending beauty, that mystery of life. And the loveliness of nature, as well as the tenderness called forth in ministering to these beautiful objects of God's creation, tend to quicken the mind and elevate the character. And the other quote um, which really inspired was Special Testimonies, page 16, saying that in itself, the beauty of nature leads the soul away from sin and worldly attractions and towards purity and peace in God. For this reason, the cultivation of the soil Directly involved in character building, and Whitmar was talking about this day after day, directly involved in character building is that practical connection to the garden. Um, And the cultivation of soil is good work for children and youth. It brings them into direct contact with nature and nature's God. And so as a church, we recognized that this direct contact with nature and nature's God was missing, and we really um, sought to fill that with a community garden. Uh, so the the food growing skills, the connection to nature, and I have in brackets there also that we have a major problem in our churches with media and entertainment, um, pornography and digital entertainment, and just generally, even if you don't have impurity issues, maybe YouTube addiction with good channels and that sort of thing. I oh know I've really struggled with that in the past, and and worldliness issues that are, that Satan's bringing in to just absolutely draw the spirituality out of us and destroy our characters, so we don't have a chance. And, and the garden really reverses these curses. It's, it's, it's a way to just um, push back on those influences because it really is healing. And it's a, it's a type of detox, a digital detox. And, and so that has that powerful effect. And a third point for, or reason for having a community garden at your church might be to outreach. And, and of course, we all really want to be relevant in the community and have an impact. Um, to give them those food-growing skills, the companionship, to show what quality food really is, and to supply food shortages to anyone that might even be lacking in the community. So I just want to mention two um, practical reasons, um, or or approaches, sorry, to a community garden. You may want to focus on having a teaching garden, that's where we've landed, um, because we don't have enough involvement of volunteers to make it very productive so teaching gardening skills, food growing, agriculture skills, and country living skills, or you might want to focus on being productive um, and producing food to distribute. An example of this is on the south side of Brisbane in the poorest area called Logan, um, right there in Woodridge, we have an Adra Community Centre, and they're now pushing um, to develop programs to produce their own food. They um, use food banks, but they'd like to produce their own vegetables for the hundreds and even thousands of um, people that they feed there in, in the poor areas um, where there's a lot of refugees uh, and down and out people. And they're using actually um, grants from the government to have work for the Dole people come and then tend those gardens because um, it wouldn't be economical to actually pay people to garden. So they're using people who in the community who need something to do anyway and then supervising them, um, which might be a part of that project, which is really exciting. So um, our beginnings was that um, we wanted to complement the health ministry programs and focus on um, whole foods and fresh garden greens um, with the ministry um, programs that we're presenting. And we had church members in need of practical food growing skills. And we were a church wanted to be more engaged and connected to the community. And so it started off with this ADRA Community Gardens Grant. I believe that's still available um, so write to your at local ADRA director and ask them when is the grants process coming up, when can I submit a form. There's $1,500 in it and as it turns out that was exactly the amount that we needed um, to establish the garden properly. Of course the project could be self-funded by your church taking donations and if you keep costs to a minimum and pool your skills and resources it really doesn't take that much to build a garden even if you have minimal or no money. I know that you know in Africa they can attest to that they have to um, so we formed a committee we set a project purpose and our goals um, which w- was basically what was already outlined and then we started out we have quite a large church um, with ab- about 200 um, members and we had this area um, next to the church and next to the car park which is about 10 by 10 meters so 100 square meters and there was a couple of small trees there that we had to remove and just by luck, we had a massive in-ground um, water tank that took all of the rainwater off of the roof right there next to it, which is a big benefit. So we, we pump out of there. So basically, we had couch grass to deal with. That's not fun. That's some of the most invasive stuff you can come across. It's really annoying. So what we did is, I don't have the picture of it here, but we, we covered it, with, it uh, with a piece of black plastic, some builder's plastic, for three months, and it completely killed it off. So basically tarping the whole thing. And then after that we came in after the grass was killed off and we used our grant money to buy some quality compost and top dressed that on the top, watered it all in with some crusher dust to make sure we got a variety of minerals. And because we are in an environment where we have really high evaporation rates, especially in summer, um, we put some heavily um, mulch over it. In this case it was tree mulch. That's what we had access to as a free organic material. Um, and that was um, that was our start and as you can see the church members getting involved it's a real blessing everyone really enjoy themselves there's our pastor in the middle there so supportive it's just a wonderful thing and then we launched with um, basically a soil enrichment workshop um, which the community attended and really enjoyed we were showing all of our projects there like the snake beans they get to half a meter plus long and a whole bunch of other vegetables and gathered around and just showed how to build a basic compost pile and, and had the vegetables just really exploding out of that soil. And uh, I love what Whitmar said this week, there's no righteous no not one in, in, ref- in reference to the soil. You know, I- everyone ends up with a soil that is hard to deal with. This was a heavy clay and it was basically rubble and clay that was pushed off the building site, really horrible to deal with. But adding that organic matter, watching the worms bio-till and do their thing, the greens and the veg just exploded up out of it this is a, a row of snake beans which provided massive big bunches of snake beans for three months plus it was amazing and there's our compost pile and some volunteers the church really got behind it and enjoyed it we had to erect a, a shade cloth which costed us probably another 300 and the reason for that is we just get such a harsh summer that the greens just really burn they burn to a crisp um, and in the winter it's fine but over uh, you know the the basically four to six months of summer you almost can't grow a thing without a shade cloth so we we needed a 50% shade cloth there and a church member had a whole bunch of bamboo canes so we just put them up as arches to hold everything up and have some sort of trellising and that's what it looked like it, it just really filled with greens um, the pastor said in the newsletter so and it will grow so what were the results what was the fruit of um, this foundation we laid at our church well the church members were inspired to garden i know a few of them started gardens and that was just that impetus where they wanted to for years and they never really um had that drive or that motivation and we also had health um, programs complemented because we could do practical demonstrations with what we were growing into the garden and show them how they were growing um, the things that we we're demonstrating and teaching about, like the um, cultivated and wild herbs. Um, community interest was piqued with Bible worker surveys. Would you like to be involved in a garden? And the literal fruit, of course, was the pawpaw. We had one pawpaw on a bottom corner of the garden where we did a lot of composting, and it ended up with a stem about that round, curved up. And a pawpaw um, a farmer from church, he, he, he used to hobby farm pawpaws, and he'd never seen a set of fruit which extended over a half of meter. It looked like, you know, the Indian goddess that with all of the fruit. And uh, I think we had about 20 fruit there and then it built another three stems with another 20 fruit and this season, I mean, it looks like there's 100 fruit on the thing. It's just absolutely unbelievable. We have bananas, passion fruit, beans, lettuce, tomatoes, cucumbers, eggplant. The eggplant produced two seasons in a row with strong crops. I couldn't believe it. We were too lazy to rip it out and it just came back for a second season. Okra, Ceylon spinach, basil, culinary herbs, healing herbs like aloe vera and wild food and medicine herbs and of course the spiritual fruit that we're talking about that that church members were engaging in the garden again and having that contact with nature and God which was transforming um, spiritually. So just to finish, uh, a couple of examples of inspiration. We still need to really um, get our garden to engage with the community. But one church which has had success with this was Cannington Church in Western Australia, who was actually one of those typical um, dead little churches that had nothing to offer to the community. If it went away, the community would not have blinked. And, they, and the pastor challenged them and said, look, what are we going to do to engage here because we are irrelevant? And so they decided... He said, you need to come up with an idea. And and so they huddled together and said, well, maybe a community garden. So they started a community garden, combined it with a soup kitchen, and I believe it was one or two years later in 2016, they had 17 baptisms from that community engagement project alone. Amazing stuff. I don't know if you noticed, um, earlier in the year, we had a mission report. I think it was maybe just two months ago from Moldova, um, from the lesson from that um, Russian uh, conference area. And the sub School Mission Report there was about their agricultural program connected to missions. Did anyone see that? They had like a a big camp set up and they had a big mission training school and they had um, a commercial agriculture um, set up connected to that, um, which was integrated in everything they were doing as a conference and a church. It was so inspiring. It's really um, what Whitmar was suggesting that we need to do all around the world. So go and search for that online. um, If you you can find that, it'll be a real inspiration. So I just want to encourage you, do what you can. And yes, we can involve gardens directly in the ministry we have at local churches. It's a massive blessing. Thank you for listening.
0: Thanks so much, Ben. That was exciting. Um, I've got one more, and we've got five more minutes. Do you think we could go over just a little?
1: (laughs) Can you hear Joe and Chloe? Uh, What do you think? Okay, good,
0: David? Can you come and? I was just talking with David yesterday and found out that he um, is—he's teaching at a local Adventist school, and they've started a garden. Can you tell us about that, David?
4: I'm sure many of you have been on a similar journey where. God places on your heart a call for mission service. And as we've convened here tonight or today, a need to grow healthy food. And in our journey, we searched near and far, looking at far and distant lands and the needs that they had. And we were looking for a place where there was brokenness. There was an appetite that was unfulfilled in a search and a knowledge for God. And as we looked, we considered many options, and for one reason or another, finances and other health challenges limited us from traveling too far abroad. And so we asked the question, where do we cultivate? And in our search, God led us out the front door to a place 30 minutes away. It just so happens to be an Adventist school which had a need for a teacher that had left, and so we started with a part-time position for three days a week. And over the course of time, that has grown more recently to something that's full-time. Kempsey, for those of you who are not aware, is a low socioeconomic area. There's a lot of brokenness. Spiritual, physical, family. And so the student population would probably be 20% Indigenous and about 90 to 93% non Adventist. So the school is very clear that it is in a mission focused need community. This year we had um, cause for a teacher to take uh, leave for health reasons. And so I was given the responsibility of looking after his horticulture classes. And what we inherited was um, students who come from a place where exertion looks like this. And so, how do you reconnect them with the world? Chickens and the cuteness of their life was a was a starting point. And then the um, agriculture teacher put in a hot house with um, some plants, raised garden beds, and at the back you can see a small orchard. And I inherited this class with students who were not used to exerting themselves, and. The idea of manual labour was foreign. Fast food was from McDonald's. But over the course of time, I came across a challenge. And what do you think the most significant challenge I had with these students? We're talking about 15, 16, 17-year-old students. Teenagers who come from very broken homes. Blended homes is a blessing Um, It's not uncommon for you to be living with a second generation, a a, a relative or somebody nearby because your family is so broken that one or more parents are unable to exhibit or enjoy the freedom we have. That is a pepper. And the greatest challenge I had with the students was keeping them out of the garden they would arrive and say, Sarah, we're doing prac today. And I'd say, why? Oh, we've got to go tend to our garden. If you have a look at the garden, there's no weeds. We've got to go check on the weeds. What they were doing is they went out the back and they were grazing. And it didn't matter if it was peppers or zucchinis. Cherry tomatoes, snow peas, cucumbers, They would go, you can't see it too well there. But what the students have done is they've just been away for a week doing some work experience and so the gardens have been untended. That is actually a zucchini that has celebrity status. And in a space where the normal technology is used for a whole lot of undesirable things, that zucchini was paraded around the school as a trophy And it provided the impetus for us to go beyond the raised garden beds to explore the soil which many of you are familiar with. And we needed to put some bamboo in. And it's the sort of soil that you go to with a pick to break up. Not a pitchfork, a pick. And um, as as was said last night, we create moats around it to contain the water, to give the water a chance of penetrating it. And because the students had developed an appreciation for nutritious food, for food that was readily available, they were then able to expend the effort to improve the soil. So the area just behind there is the area that we're working with. And it's, it's probably 50 or 60 meters long. And we put in... Um, probably about 300 metres of garden beds. That's about um, 1,000 feet in yaw. And this is uh, just in the last last month we've got to this stage where we're ready to to plant the, the corn, the watermelon, and the pumpkins in the hope and prayer that they'll be harvestable and ready at the end of the summer break. Of course, the Australian education system has not yet aligned itself with the agricultural seasons but it's obviously a need that we have. Our need and prayer is for like-minded Adventists to respond to the calling, to reach a community right outside the front door.
0: Our Father in heaven, I just thank you and praise you for the ways that you are working around the world, for, for the people that you are working through and for the people who are being reached. Father, I thank you that you gave us soil and you gave us seeds and that we can, we can be a blessing and that we can, we can help with those resources, the world around us. I pray that you would strengthen and bless each of us as we go to our our separate homes and stations where you've placed us, that we might be a blessing there. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.
3: This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,